Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you.
If you would, turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel, beginning uh, with chapter 15. We're actually going to be doing three chapters today, 2 Samuel 15, and we're going to go to 17. I'm not going to read all of that, but we are going to go through it. We're going to take a look at King David and a betrayal that happened to him. Last week, we talked about shame. Right? And we said that shame comes from three sources. Shame can come from things that we've done. It also can come from things that have been done to us. And it can become, come from a cruel world where sometimes we're, we're born with certain things. Right? And the enemy wants to pile shame onto us. But we know that Jesus despised shame. And shame was rolled away with the cross you missed last week, make sure you check that out. But that is one of the, I believe, the chief weapons that the enemy uses. Along with that, what we talk about today is another weapon that the enemy likes to use, betrayal, offense. And, and these are kind of the things that we're, we're going to look at in the Scripture. So 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 15. I'm sure we are all familiar with David. I, I know uh, you probably were in Sunday school and you heard about David and Goliath and grew up with that story. Uh, I'm sure you've also heard about David and Bathsheba, right? David had an affair with a woman named Bathsheba and all of a sudden he learned that Bathsheba was pregnant and so he tries to cover it up. He tries to get her husband Uriah to go and sleep with his wife. And so he calls Uriah back and tells him to go home. But Uriah is such a man of integrity. He says, I can't do that. He, he, was, a, he was a soldier, and all of his, his fellow soldiers were in battle and, and were in a campaign. And so he says, I can't go home to my wife. And he ends up staying at the palace. And, and so David sends word to Joab, the commander of the Israel's armies, and he says, put Uriah where the fighting is the fiercest, right? And when it gets really fierce, pull back from him. And of course, this happens, and Uriah ends up getting killed, and David ends up marrying Bathsheba. Um, that's kind of the backstory of what we need to know before we get into this. There's another part, too, in 2 Samuel 13, where David has this son named Amnon, and Amnon falls in love with his half sister, Tamar, and ends up raping her. A, a horrible experience. And two years later, Absalom, who is Tamar's brother, ends up having Amnon killed. And Absalom flees to his grandfather's kingdom. After some time, though, after, after three or more years, Absalom returns from exile. And this is where I want to pick it up. Because Absalom, when he returns, is on a mission. He's on a mission to steal the throne from King David. And if you think the Bible is boring, right, you aren't reading it, especially the Old Testament. 
So let me introduce you to a couple more people in this story. There is Ahithophel. Ahithophel would be one of David's closest friends, especially after Jonathan passes, um, a close friend and his number one advisor for the kingdom. And besides Ahithophel, you have Hushai. Hushai is another advisor, another close friend. Those are the people in the story that we're going to be reading about. Second, chance, Second Samuel, beginning at 15, verse 1. Like I said, this is after Absalom returns home, and we read, Absalom bought a chariot and horses, and he hired 50 bodyguards to run ahead of him. So right away, we see that that Absalom is positioning himself to be more important than what he really is. He's a prince, right? But now he's got a chariot and horses and 50 bodyguard that surround him. So he's setting himself up to look like a king, more than a prince. Verse 2, he got up early morning, early every morning, and went out to the gate of the city. When people brought a case to the king for judgment, Absalom would ask where in Israel they were from. And they would tell him their tribe. Then Absalom would say, you've really got a strong case here. It's too bad the king doesn't have anyone to hear it. I wish I were a judge. Then everyone could bring their cases to me for judgment. And I would give them, notice this word, justice. When the people tried to bow before him, Absalom wouldn't let them. Instead, he took them by the hand and kissed them. So he places himself in an important place at the city gate where many people would come to. He surrounds himself to look like a king. He's got his 50 bodyguard there, right? And when people came up to him, he would ask them, where are you from? And maybe somebody would say, oh, I'm from Monroeville. Oh, great place, right? Home of the Eagles. Well, what what brings you here? Ah, gas prices, they're really high, right? Maybe that's what somebody would say. And, And maybe he would say, yeah, man, you're getting robbed, right? Somebody needs to do something about that. I, I wish, there's, there's nobody here, I'm sorry, that can help you, but I, I wish I could help you. I wish I was in charge in Monroeville or, or here, and I could hear your case and do something about these gas prices to get them lowered, but unfortunately, I'm not. So he's sowing seeds, right, against David. And the people here are coming and, and hearing that David doesn't care, David doesn't care that you're paying more than you should to about gas or this injustice that's being done. And, and here's this guy, though, acting all humble. If he was in charge, he would help me. That's how they saw him. Man, and, and you can imagine, man, I wish this guy was in charge, right? He's listening to me. He cares about me. He wants justice to be done. And, and that's what he's playing. And, and he looks like a great guy right? He, he, I don't have to bow down before him. He's humble. He's got all these people around him. Well, we all know that people oftentimes will tell you anything that you want to hear in order to elevate themselves in your sight, or they'll put other people down in order to elevate themselves, in order to gain your favor. What's his big promise? What was that word that I told you to remember? His big promise, his big slant is justice. Right? That's his, that's his promise. Remember that word. Well, for four years, Absalom wakes up early every morning and does this. And at the end of verse 6, it says this, Absalom stole the hearts of all the people of Israel. 
Now, once he knew that they were at a tipping point and people now approved of him more than his father, he starts to begin his plan. He tells his dad, hey, I made this vow before God when I was over in exile. I made this vow before God that if God brought me back, that I would sacrifice to him and and give him thanks. Is that okay if I go do that? And David, of course, says, yes, you know, go in peace. So Absalom sends messengers out to everyone. All of, his, all of his friends, all of his companions, and he says, hey, I'm going to Hebron, and, and I'm going to have some people with me, 200 people. They didn't know what was coming. They didn't know what was going on. But here's what I want you to do. When the ram's horn blows, I want you all to shout, Absalom is king. Absalom is king. And everything goes to his plan. It happens just as he, as he wanted it to. And surprisingly, there are people that were loyal to King David who, who go and they end up joining with Absalom and his new regime. Regime, In particular, we've learned that in verse 12, Absalom sends word to Ahithophel. Remember, David's close, close friend, his number one advisor. And we learn that Ahithophel comes to Absalom and joins with him. And, and because of this, the Bible says that the conspiracy gained momentum at the ver- end of verse 12. Well, David's in his palace, and word comes to him. Word busts through the door. David, have you heard? Right? David, have you heard what's going on? What? What is it? It's, it's Absalom. It's your son. He's betrayed you. He didn't just go to Hebron to, to make a sacrifice of, of thanks and worship God. No, he went there to steal your throne. Now, I want you to imagine how David must have felt in this moment. Here's his son, whom he loves. He's shown kindness to. He wanted to get him back into the kingdom and bring him back. And, and here's what his son does his own flesh and blood. Well, David takes all of, his, all of the people in the palace, except for 10 women that were left behind to take care of it, and, and they, they leave. And as they're walking, there's people coming up to David with, with getting orders from him. He's telling them what to do, and, and he's giving them instructions, right? After he gives them the, the, the instructions, though, as he keeps walking, it all starts to sink in, what, what's happening. Verse 30, David walked up the road to the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered, and his feet were bare as a sign of mourning. And it's in this moment that David would also learn it's not just Absalom, right? It's your closest friend, your closest advisor, Ahithophel. And I don't know if you've ever had one of those types of moments where you just feel betrayed by the people that were closest to you. Maybe a close friend, maybe a spouse, maybe a business partner, maybe just somebody that you, you've helped out with in the past. Somebody in which you trusted deeply in and would have been a, a total shock to hear that they are betraying you. If you've experienced that, then you know what David is feeling in these moments. We, we get some insight into what David is experiencing. Psalm 55, verse 12. You don't have to turn there. It says this, If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, 
I could hide, but it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend. And he's referring to Ahithophel there in that passage. David builds on this idea in Psalm 41, 9. He says, even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who I shared my bread, has turned against me. Now, one way that in the, in the ancient Middle East that you would symbolize unity and friendship with somebody was to share bread, to break bread. Everything revolved around a table back in these times. So when you gathered together around that table, you would bring bread, and the person with the most influence would break it apart. And he'd hand it to somebody, like Jesus did with the disciples, Right? He would hand it to somebody, and if you took that bread, you were symbolizing that you and that person were on the same page. You were, you were under the same cause together. You were united with that person. You were one. That's, that's why the beauty of communion is, is so awesome, because we're saying we are partnering with Christ in what he started to do, right? We are finishing. We are carrying on what he started to do today. We are, we are linked to him. We are one with Christ. And that's what's happening here. And they would begin to hand it to another person. And if that other person received it, he said, I'm with you, right? I'm, I'm one with you. So um, this is why it's so shocking to David with Ahithophel. Because he's like, we had a covenant. We had this agreement. We had this bond. You, you sat at my table night after night, right? Day after day. We broke bread together, and you never said a word. And yet here you are, even though that we are bound together, even though that we are brothers to the end, here you are betraying me. Well, Samuel 15, verse 32, David finds himself on the top of Mount Olive, still weeping, and you know who he runs into? Hushai. Hushai, the archite. Now, Hushai is a loyal friend of David. He's a loyal, the loyalest friend you could ever have, right? Hushai has torn his clothes. Hushai has, has gone with David, and he is in mourning for David and with David. And I honestly hope, I, I honestly hope everyone in here has a Hushai. I, I think about some of the prayer requests that were mentioned and, and what might have happened if people had a Hushai in their life, Right? that loyal friend, the one that cares about you, the one that will fight about you, the one that will not let anyone say anything bad about you, right? They've got your back. They respect you. They genuinely care about you. It's not a game that they're playing. Hushai was this to David, and, and, and I wanted to say this, teens, I especially hope that you have a Hushai in your life. Be a Hushai right? Be this type of person. I imagine that when David sees this man, he must have been encouraged, right? Not everyone has abandoned me. No, you're a good friend. It's so good to see you. And, and Hushai's like, what do you need me to do, right? That's, that's what a good friend says. What can I do to help you? And, he, and David grabs him by the shoulder and says, here's what I need you to do. I need to send you to Absalom, because I need you to bow down to him and to get into his service, because I need you to counter the advice of Ahithophel. Because he knew Ahithophel's advice, if Absalom were to follow it, he'd be done for. 
he'd be dead, right? He's going to give him some really good advice. It's a long shot, but if you're there, you might be able to counter it. You might be able to get Absalom to go into a different direction. So Hushai takes off right away, takes off, goes to the palace, and he encounters Absalom where he bows down to him and says, long live the king. I'm here to serve you. And we pick it up in chapter 16, verse 17. Absalom responds, is this the way you treat your friend David? He knows. He knows about this person's character, right? Absalom asked him, why aren't you with him? Hushai says, I'm here because I belong to the man who is chosen by the Lord and by all the men of Israel. Not a lie, right? He's still serving David. Hushai replied, and anyways, why shouldn't I serve you just as I, I, as I was your father's advisor? Now I will be your advisor. Well, at this time, Absalom starts asking Ahithophel for advice. And at first, Absalom takes Ahithophel's advice. But then we come to chapter 17, verse 1. Now, Ahithophel urged Absalom, let me choose 12,000 men to start out after David tonight. I will catch up with him while he, was, while he is weary and discouraged. He and his troops will panic and everyone will run away. Then I will kill only the king and I will bring all the people back to you as a bride returns to her husband. After all, it is only one man's life that you seek. Then you will be at peace with all the people. And this plan seemed good to Absalom and to all the elders of Israel. But then Absalom said, bring in Hushai, the archite, and let's see what he thinks about this. And this is where Hushai comes in and he stands up and he says, hey, Ahithophel is wrong in this case. You can't do that. He says, you know, you know David. You know the type of man he is. You know the warrior that David is. He's a fighter. He's a bad man, right? And when he attacks your men, he's going to kill some of them. And that's just going to send shockwaves through all your men. And your men are going to flee. There's going to be panic that sets in. And the whole thing is going to be undone. You're going to lose all your momentum. No, don't do that. And he says, no. Instead, mobilize the entire Israel army. Mobilize everybody. Send from people all across this nation and bring them before them. And then this this is what you got to do, Absalom. You got to lead them yourself. That's the advice he gives with. And so Absalom has a choice. Whose advice do I go with? And, and Absalom looks at Ahithophel and he says, for once your advice is not needed here. And he takes Hushai's advice and this is what he did. And in, in this process, he sets himself up to fail. What's, what's fascinating about this is that when Absalom chooses to take the advice of Hushai, Ahithophel immediately recognizes that it's lost. It's all lost, right? We have, verse, we have chapter 17, verse 23. When Ahithophel realized that his advice had not been followed, he saddled his donkey, went to his hometown, set his affairs in order, and hanged himself. And he died there and was buried in the family tomb. If you keep reading, you see not too much longer. David's men go up against the men of Israel, and David's men end up winning. And Absalom, his son, is killed in the battle. Now, when you think about this whole story, it's sad, right? It's sad. It must have been extremely sad for David. It's sad because of the betrayal of a son, of a close close friend, right? But not only the betrayal, he, he also lost both these men. They ended up dying. 
And I'm sure David was wondering why this happened. How could have this been avoided? And that's what I want to focus in on today. Oftentimes we see the after effects of betrayal. We see what the, the broken pieces. We see the failed business, right, or the broken marriage. But what we don't see is how all those things necessarily started to happen. We see components of them, but maybe not how they started. Why would, why would Absalom, why would Ahithophel betray King David? Now you have to understand that Jesus talks about this in Matthew 24. He says, betrayal begins with an offense. Betrayal begins with an offense. Something that's in, maybe been done to you or something that you perceive has been done. It's like when two people are walking side by side in the same direction when all of a sudden an offense takes place. Something happens. And, and the word offense in the Greek is scandaliso. It's where we get the idea uh, or where we get the word scandal from. And the word actually means to trip. So two people walking together, a stumble happens, and then all of a sudden these two close friends, right, start to drift apart. Maybe they were snared by a trap. Maybe they just had something happen to them that prevents them from, from moving in unison at the same speed in the same direction. For some reason, though, they get out of step. And before you know it, these people start drifting apart. Before you know it, these two people become enemies. And bad things happen in that relationship. This is the enemy's plan for us as a church. It's to get us offended. Look at our country, how offended we are at everything, right? That's not just happening out there. That happens in here as well, and we have to be on guard against that. Let me give you another example. A couple gets married, right? After a while, the husband is not doing a good job cherishing his wife. An offense occurs. His wife, instead of having a hard conversation maybe with her husband, she just lets it fester and it sours her towards him. And so she starts pulling back. The husband recognizes that his wife's pulling back. And so then the husband starts pulling back as well. And before you know it, it's just two people living together as roommates, right? And then maybe one has an affair and the marriage ends up ending. Oftentimes we look at the affair and focus in on that, that that's what killed that marriage, but that's just an after effect. There's an offense that takes place early on, and that's what we have to be on guard against. A scandaliso, a stumble, a trip that happened and led to this drifting apart. That's why the title of this is Beware the Drift. Beware the Drift. Right? This happens in other areas, a, a friendship with somebody we've all had the where we've grown apart from someone, all of a sudden you hear a rumor about your friend or you hear something that they supposedly said, it, maybe it was said, maybe it wasn't, right? Something that they did that you were offended by uh, and, and maybe they, like I said, they did or they didn't do it, but instead of having that hard conversation with them, you let it jade you towards them, right? And so you pull back. You pull back. You get out of step. You allow yourself to drift away. You allow yourself to get madder and madder until you end up maybe betraying them or doing something to get back at them. This happens all the time in church, right? How many people switch churches because something that happened? 
Maybe there's a rumor at church. Somebody steps on somebody else's toes, right? How dare they do that? This is, this is my ministry. I should have been consulted. I should have known about that. Instead of talking to that person, instead of going to that person, right, and showing grace, we allow it to cause us to drift, to drift apart. We allow it to fester. And then somebody ends up leaving, somebody's mad, and the enemy wins, right? When I first started, I think Brenda and I were stepping on each other's toes, right, all the time trying to figure everything out. And I would do things without consulting her, and she would do things without consulting me. And we had an opportunity to drift, but we didn't. She approached me. She was brave. She would tell me, hey, you know, don't you think you should be doing this? Yeah, you're right. Absolutely, right? That's what we have to be, though, in church. When offense happens, we have to do that. Betrayal begins with an offense. And here's the sad part. Oftentimes, we don't even realize what we did, right? We don't even realize that we stepped on somebody's toes or did something to do this, right? Do I think that Brenda would ever do something on purpose? Does Brenda think that I would, if you really thought about it, do this on purpose? No, these things happen, and, and unfortunately, drifts start happening, and they bring us further and further from each other. Why did Absalom betray his father? It revolves around that word that I told you to remember, justice, right? Absalom was furious that his dad did nothing to punish his son who raped his sister. He was furious at him. And when you read through the scripture, you see that David was an awesome leader, a great king, but he was a bad dad. He was not good in that respect. The lack of justice, the lack of action was the offense that started it all. Absalom was so filled with this frustration over injustice, over nothing happening to his brother who did this painful, horrible thing to somebody that he loved. He said that if you're not going to do anything about it, I will. Right? And isn't that what sometimes happens in here when we get offended? He ends up doing something about it, right? And he's exiled and the drift happens. David misses his son, though, right? He tries to bring him back. He longed for him to return, but he brought him back and never addressed the offense, right? He brought him back, but they never talked about it. They never talked through this problem. And it's why Absalom starts thinking there's got to be a better way to lead. You're not a good king, right? The job my father is doing... I could do it far better, and I'll be that king that's for justice. And that's what starts the plan happening. What, what about Ahithophel? What about Ahithophel? Where did his drifting begin? Well, you might know, not know this, but Ahithophel's granddaughter was Bathsheba. And we know what happened there, right? Ahithophel's son was Eliam, and he was a bodyguard of David and good friends with Uriah. Bathsheba's former husband, who David had killed. And I'm sure Ahithophel started to question what in the world, right? Why would you do that to my son's friend? Why would you do that to my granddaughter's husband? How could you, right? Why? The offense happens and the drift occurs. For years and years, they drift apart. 
And all of a sudden, years later, when Ahithophel sees the hearts of Israel shift from loyalty from David to Absalom, I'm sure Ahithophel says, man, that's divine justice, right? That's God's hand in this. Finally, somebody is standing up to David. Finally, somebody's going to do something. Finally, David's going to get what he deserves, right? I'm sure that's where his heart was. And, and many of you have experienced a breakdown of trust. You've experienced the scandaliso in your relationship with a friend, with, with a coworker, with a spouse, through somebody in this church. And many of us, while we've experienced that, we've failed to have the hard conversations with that person to address the offense. We've failed to say something about that. And as a result, we've drifted. We've drifted apart further and further from one another. In order to not follow this path of, of Absalom and, and Ahithophel, you have to do some things. You have to name the offense. You have to. What was it that caused the stumble, right? Maybe a, a spouse feels like her husband cares more about work than them. Or maybe I feel like you just made a dig at me. If something bothers you, you have to talk to that other person about it. Otherwise, you run the risk of drifting apart. Stumbles and trips are going to happen, right? Stumbles and trips, especially in any relationship, but especially in the church, especially in volunteer ministry, are going to happen. We, we just had the mother-daughter banquet, a big event, right? And I guarantee you there are stumbles and trips and people are stepping on each other's toes, people getting offended, people getting hurt, Right? Anytime we have something like that, those things are going to happen. We, we have to face them, though. We have to identify them to prevent the drift from happening. You, you might have something happen, and, and you might be wondering. You might not even be sure if something happened. Even if that's the case, right, address it. Talk to somebody about it in a graceful, loving way. Seek clarity about that. If it's with your spouse, don't let it fester bring it up and talk to them. Even if you're in the wrong, even if you imagined it, right, it's better to get it out in the open and talk through it. It's hard. It, it will make you uneasy, right? But we have to do it. You have to swallow your pride because it's worth it. It's worth it. I, I remember another thing that I did early on when I took pastorship from this church. We had a, another church. This was right after COVID was kind of winding down. And we had another church that still wasn't opened up, Carol. Another church that was here. And I said something stupid to them, right, about them being freeloaders. It was a joke. Some people don't understand my sense of humor, right? And Carol came up to me, though. She says, hey, you, you know that joke that you said? that offended them. And so swallow your pride, right? Admit what you did. Ask for forgiveness. And I think we, we mended that situation. I'm sure that I've offended some other people in here. Never intentionally, though, right? It happens. If I've offended you, address it with me, and I'll do the same with you. It happens all the time. And if we don't address it, though, the enemy will warm his way in here, will cause division, will split our church apart, will break down our relationships. We're family, aren't we? We're family. Gossiping will start happening. Complaining will start happening. 
We can't let that. Like I said, last week was about shame. Today is about offense. It's one of the enemy's greatest weapons, and we can't allow that to happen in here. I want to encourage you to have difficult discussions with people. Man, I feel like you ain't pulling your weight at work. Have that discussion. You got somebody that's not doing that? Instead of just getting madder and madder and madder at that person, have that discussion with them. You might end up changing their life. I don't know. If you don't, though, you're just going to grow apart, and pretty soon you're going to talk bad about that person, betray them, complain about them. It's not going to be good for you, right? I feel like you're playing video games way too much and choosing them over me. I feel like you stabbed me in the back. I feel like you've betrayed me. Not easy conversations, but necessary ones. Make the phone call. These points of offense destroy trust. Trust is an amazing, amazing thing. And in Hebrew, the word is actually broken down into two words. One which means to be wide open, free to be seen, free to be known. When you trust God, you allow him to see every part of yourself. When you trust somebody, you allow them to see into your life, to see all the different parts, right? The other word means to find refuge. You feel that in any storm, in every circumstance, right? You can come to that person who won't judge you, who won't pile on shame on you, who will accept you, who will be there for you. They'll, they'll protect you. They'll watch over you, right? And when you have this kind of trust in a relationship, it's an amazing thing. So you have to fight for it. You, you have to fight for it and have those difficult conversations. You have to build it. You have to guard against it, right, against the things that are going to come attacking to it. And allowing offenses to go on without addressing will erode trust. It will break trust. It will lead to drifting. It will lead eventually to betrayal. Besides addressing the offense, give people grace, right? Give people grace. What has that person been through? What's their life been like? Maybe they've had a hard childhood. Maybe they didn't have the best parents. And because of that life, maybe they just don't express themselves in the best way, right? Give them some grace. We can be offended by so many things, especially, like I said, in ministry. Toes get stepped on. Have grace with each other. Volunteer ministry is messy. Have grace, right? You know your brother and sister in here is not trying to do something to sabotage you, to hurt you. They want the same thing that we want, right? We want to see a world come to know Christ. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Give them grace. If you can't give them grace, address the offense. Talk about it. Talk to that person. You mean that person that I don't like? That person in here that I really can't stand? Yeah. Person that gets on your nerves? Yeah. Talk to them. Otherwise, you'll look for ways to sabotage them, right? You'll complain about them. You'll put them down, and the enemy will win. We have a church family here that's an amazing family, but we've got to fight for it. I'm sure you have an amazing family. You have to fight for it, right? You have amazing friendships with other people. Fight for it. Don't allow these things to happen, Right? Sometimes the drift happens with God, too. This is kind of what I want to end with. Here's the great thing about that, though. 
The Holy Spirit always convicts us. We are not going to know that we didn't (laughs) do something to God. We'll always be convicted of that. He'll, He'll let us know that we messed up. And what makes it even better is he's always trying to address it. He's always trying to address the offense. He's always trying to repair the relationship. He's not about piling on shame, right? Like we do when somebody messes up. He's not about condemning us. He's about bringing us back. He's convicting us, sure. He's letting us know there's been an offense, but you can repent of it. You can ask forgiveness, and he's free with that. He's free with his grace, right? He, he welcomes us back as a father. Two Sundays ago, we, we talked about the sermon, The Day God Ran. He's looking. He's waiting, right? He's waiting to get to you before Kazah. Do you remember that ceremony? If you, if you missed that, that sermon, check it out. He's waiting to, you, to get to you before that Kazah ceremony, before that cutting off ceremony. Because he wants to forge that relationship. He wants to repair that relationship. My friends, we can be the same way. We can be the ones looking to repair the relationship. We can be the ones that restore the relationship. If somebody's offended you, talk to them, right? Give them grace and let it go, truly let it go, or talk to them and address it. Amen? Would you stand with me? The German philosopher, oh, I'm going to butcher this name like I didn't butcher Ahithophel. Schopenhauer compared the human race to a bunch of porcupines huddling together on a cold winter's night. He said, the colder it gets outside, the more we huddle together for warmth, but the closer we get to one another, the more we hurt one another with our sharp quills. Amen? And in the lonely night, of earth's winter, eventually we begin to drift apart and wander out on our own and freeze to death in our loneliness. Christ has given us an alternative to forgive each other for the pokes we receive. I'm sure you've been poked. I'm sure I probably poked you. I pray we address those things. I pray that we give each other grace. I pray that we are able to to stay together, stay warm, and avoid disunity. Right? 1 Corinthians 1.10, I appeal to you. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no division in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. John 17, 22, this is Jesus. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me. That's what's at stake here, right? May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Amen? You're going to get poked. Maybe you're poked right now. Maybe you've already started to drift. Will you do me a favor? 
Will you talk to that person? If it's me, talk to me. If it's somebody else in the church, talk to them. Address it. And if somebody comes up to you and you feel like, I didn't really do that, respond with grace. Respond with grace. Amen? Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you that we only do what you modeled. Father, you were beaten. You were insulted. You were ridiculed. You had the worst that we could do thrown on you. And you said, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. Lord, would you help us to have your attitude with each other? Would you help us to be brothers and sisters? Would you help us to be the Hushais in people's lives? There for them, standing by them, side by side, lifting them up. Lord, we were talking about all the people trapped in addiction. Father, would you help us to lock roots with them? Lock arms with them? Help them stand Father, help us to be a family to people that are hurting, to people that are affected by addiction, Lord. And all these things that are going on, help us to be there for each other. Father, do not let the enemy worm his way in. Do not let the enemy draw a wedge between us. Help us to reach out. Help us to forgive. Help us to extend grace. Lord, just don't let us not say anything. Give us a boldness to talk things out. Lord, we love you and we give you all praise. In your name we pray, amen. Amen.